0: I can't tell you how delighted I am to be standing before you tonight. Uh, I will tell you that I am still suffering the effects of jet lag. So if I speak incorrectly tonight, I ask you to overlook that. Uh, I told the elders I would preach this morning, but they thought that I might not be as attentive as I ought to be. And uh, so they provided Brother Jamie, who did a great job, and I appreciate he, along with Steve last week, filling the pulpit and doing such a great job as they always do in delivering God's Word. And it's such a great thing to be at home and to be back with the people that I care so much about. Um, You just don't know how much you care about people until you're separated from them for a while. But I really do love this congregation of people and what you stand for and who you are. Tonight we're going to focus on the passage from Joshua chapter 4, and we're going to talk about what mean these stones. For several Sunday nights we have been looking at some Old Testament events that have some great and powerful lessons for us. And there are so many parallels between the Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church. In fact, when Paul writes the book of Galatians, he says in chapter 6 and verse 16, and he says, As many as walk according to this rule, peace be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He refers to the Lord's church as the Israel of God. We, we are the Israel of God today. And for that reason, you have to see some of these great lessons and great parallels. And there's a lot to learn from the stones of Joshua chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. And so tonight, what I want us to do is to look at three things. The first part of that is the making of a memorial. Let's concentrate, if you will, on the text of Joshua chapter 4 for just a few minutes to see how this background developed of the making of a memorial. Then number two, I'd like for us to look at some memorial milestones, looking through the Old Testament and even through the New Testament some, how God placed some markers, if you will, to make some memorials for us. And then number three, for us to look at a meaningful memorial. What does it take for something like this to be meaningful to us? And so as we begin, let's look first of all at this making of a memorial memorial. And God intended to establish this memorial there at the Jordan River where the children of Israel crossed. I want you to go with me if you will. Let's open our Bibles to Joshua chapter 3 and look at the events that just precede this that we find in Joshua 4. You see the children of Israel had encamped at the Acacia Grove that was on the east side of the Jordan River. And God commanded that the priests should enter the Jordan River and that when they did, the land would dry up so that the children of Israel could walk through on dry land. He also would command them to have men to walk through with them. Now notice as we read, Now therefore take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for every tribe. And it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, that the rest of the waters, or shall the waters be of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand up as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan, with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, As those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the ark dipped in the edge of the water. And notice how Joshua puts a little parenthetical statement. For the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest. That the waters which came down from far away at Adam, that is the city by side Zeratah, So all the waters that went down from the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed opposite of Jericho. You've got to visualize in your mind. They get there and it's very important to see that these waters have been parted here. Stones were to be removed from the riverbed as they walked through. Look with me at verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass when the people had completely crossed over the Jordan that the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe and command them saying, take for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. Each one of you take a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign when your children shall ask in a time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer, them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan, and the Jordan was cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. I think it's important to see the picture of what's going on. These men are to take stones. We're not talking about a little small stone that you might pick up, or we would say a little rock. These are of such size that they were to be placed on the shoulder. These would function as a visible thing that they could see. Later generations would ask about these at Gilgal. I want to direct your attention back to the text that was read just a few moments ago by Brother Josh. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and Captain Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. So we know where Gilgal's at. We know where they're coming to. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel saying, When your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until he crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. You see, there is in this passage a reference to something that occurred earlier. But now they were not going to be again in the Red Sea area. They're going to be in Israel. They're going to be in the promised land. They're going to be in the land that God gave them. And these would be in that land as a memorial for them. Just to give you some kind of idea, if you'll look at the screen and you'll look at the area just in the middle, somewhere about right here, there's Jericho, there's Gilgal. I know it's hard to see those small, so I'll make it a little bit larger. Uh, The area that was just on the east side that was called Shittim or the Acacia Grove, that's where they left from. They crossed over the Jordan River. And in crossing over, they dwelt just east of it in Gilgal. You look at the Jordan River in its normal state. It's not a very large river. In fact, here's a picture of one of its larger or wider widths of it. Here's what it looks like in the area where they would have crossed over. The reason why I chose this black and white photo is because of the photo that will follow it. This gives you some idea of what the river would look like in its normal state. However, Joshua tells us that during the time of the harvest that it overflowed its banks. Someone might say, well, that's not a very large river. But look at it when it overflows. It can be close to a mile wide. So you understand that the children of Israel here are not walking through when it's shallow. Some critics of the Bible would say, well, it just dried up like dry riverbeds do. No, this is a situation where God said, they stuck up into a heap just like they did at the Red Sea. So here they're going to go through and they're going to take up these stones and carry them over to Jericho. Now what this does is becomes a milestone. And you can say, well, what is a milestone? Last Friday when we were in Istanbul, Turkey, we walked outside of our restaurant just around the corner and our tour guide told us, Here is a Roman milestone. And what it is, is a marker that says from here to the next milestone is a thousand steps. Or at least that's what he said. I don't know how far it is between them. But those are markers. And when you start looking in the Bible, there are some milestones. There are some markers that says, okay, here is a place where God takes you. Here is a place where God takes you. And for us, when we read this, we have to realize there's a milestone at the Red Sea. There is now a milestone at the Jordan River. To give you some kind of background, you can go back to the Old Testament, to Genesis chapter 35. And you'll remember when Jacob met the angel of the Lord at Bethel. We read there that Jacob, God appeared to Jacob again... And when he came from and aram and he blessed him, and God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and your descendants I give this land. Then God went up from him and the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar. And you think about that. Just like the children of Israel are going to set up here or Joshua's going to set up here a marker, these stones, Jacob had set up a pillar. He had set up a milestone there in Bethel so that he could have a marker. And there is actually a standing stone at the area of Bethel today. The pot of manna was also to be a memorial milestone. You remember when God led the children of Israel through their wilderness wandering that He provided manna for them. That was the food to eat. They didn't have their own food. They didn't grow their own food. God provided for them during that 40-year wilderness. And according to Exodus chapter 16, verses 31 through 34, and the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like white coriander seed, and its taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omerah with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness. When I brought you out of the land of Egypt, and Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it, And lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. You think about inside that Ark of the Covenant, there was Aaron's rod that budded. There was the tablets of the testimony, the Ten Commandments. And there was this pot of manna. It was a milestone. It was a marker, if you will, of God's activity among the people. God also required that the writing be written about the Amalekites. You know, uh, when we study 2 Samuel chapter 15, and how Saul was told to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, well, Exodus chapter 17 says that the Lord said to Moses, write this thing for a memorial in a book and recrown it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. See, God said, I want it recorded. So as I study through the Bible, I find memorial after memorial after memorial, and they become markers. They become milestones of God's plan. The feast, the feast of the children of Israel, also became these kind of markers. The Passover found in Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. He said, So this day shall be for a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So every year they kept the feast of the Passover, the feast of tabernacles, Leviticus chapter 23. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Every year, even today, you may not know, but during the Feast of Booths, which they call Succoth, the children of Israel actually will put up a little tent. If they live in the city, they've got a little patio or something, they'll set it up. And they'll actually live in that for seven days to remind them as a marker, a memorial of what occurred when God led them out of the Egyptian bondage. One we often don't think about was the Feast of Purim found with regards to Esther when God provided the deliverance through the uh, hand of Esther. In Esther chapter 9 verses 26 through 28 it said, So they caused these days Purim after the name pure because of all the words of this letter which they had seen concerning this matter what had happened to them. The Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the written instructions and according to the prescribed time. You see that there was a time, there was an event to be remembered. These become. Memorial milestones throughout the Old Testament. I think it's interesting also that some people were so fearful of being forgotten, they tried to establish their own memorial milestones. If you go into the Kidron Valley today, there will be a very tall, very large monument there. It's called the Monument Absalom. And the Bible records in 2 Samuel chapter 18, verse 18, Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the King's Valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it is called Absalom's Monument. You see, we don't want to forget certain things, and so we established. Do you realize in our country we do the same thing? If you go to Washington, D.C., you can visit... The Korean War Memorial. You can visit the Vietnam War Memorial. These various things are to document great events in our history. They become for us milestones. In the New Testament, there is the great memorial of the Lord's Supper. Perhaps, no not perhaps, it is the greatest memorial that we have to document to remind us of what happened on the cross in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23-26 through for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take ye this is my body which is broken for you Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This this cup is my new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It's something that becomes a living memorial for us. Something we do each and every week as a reminder of what occurred on that day on the cross. We see in Acts 20, verse 7, by chance this happens at Troas. And on last Thursday, I got to stand at Troas where Paul preached to them. We read, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them, and continued his message till midnight. What did Paul do? He went there and he was there on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. It was that memorial feast. And we learn in Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. Now I want to sort of tidy this together by pointing out a meaningful memorial. Unless a memorial is properly understood and appreciated, it cannot become meaningful. You know, when I visited Washington, D.C. and saw a number of those memorials, had I not realized the sacrifice that many men and women made, I wouldn't have fully appreciated those memorials. But as you walk by, for instance, the Vietnam War Memorial, you will see the names of a number of men who gave their lives for our country. I'm sure that this past week, as we passed through Turkey, we passed through a number of statues, a number of memorials. They didn't mean anything to me. The reason why they didn't mean anything to me, that's not my country. Those were not my people. Our tour guide tried to talk about certain days that they celebrated every year. But I don't know about the rest of them, but most of that went in one ear and out the other. Because it didn't have a meaning to me. It did to him. It had some an emotional attachment to him. When you think about the stones that were brought up out of the Jordan River, or you think of the Lord's Supper, you've got to understand it to appreciate it and to have meaning in it the children were to be taught why these stones were placed there in both exodus 3 or excuse me Joshua 3 and Joshua 4 he said the children are going to ask what do these stones mean why are these stones stacked up here what's the purpose of them god expects he expected out of them and he expects out of us that we teach our children The meaning of these things. Let me just illustrate these very quickly through some passages. Exodus chapter 12. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. You see, when they were going to be going through their worship type service, children would be inquisitive. Why are we doing this? You drop to chapter 13, verse 14. And so it shall be when your son asks you in a time to come, what is this that you shall say to him? By the strength of the hand of the Lord brought... By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. you got to tell your children what this means. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. When your son asks you in a time to come, saying... What is the meaning of these testimonies, the statues, the judgments? Which the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to them or to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. You've got to go back and explain what all these things are about. You know, a lot of us have very little knowledge and some of us no personal memory. Uh, for instance, things that happened in World War II. Some young ones may not even know anything about the Vietnam War. Some of them may not even remember Gulf War One and Gulf War II. But you see, our children have to understand where we came from to appreciate where we are. I'm fearful that many times people don't do that. Deuteronomy 11 verse 19 says you shall teach them to your children speaking of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way when you lie down and when you rise up. You see it's not as if you sit down to your children one day and say let me talk to you about all these events. It becomes a part of your teaching method that you explain things as your children are inquisitive about them. I think it's wonderful when people are baptized in the services of the church. Now, I'm not discouraging anybody from being baptized whenever you think it's important that you obey, wherever you know what you need to do. If it's at midnight, call me, we'll meet you here. But I think it's good for children to see people being baptized because they understand there's something there. Well, why do people do that? What's the meaning of being baptized? It represents, according to Romans six, four through six, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are buried with him in baptism. When you come to Psalm seventy three, verse or seventy eight verses three through eight. Which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling from to the generation to come. The praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. For He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them. In the elders' deacons' meeting tonight, it was discussed how great of a job was done at the spring youth retreat for our young people this week. What a great privilege it is to be able to have good teachers who teach our children. But it's essential that parents communicate these things to your children each and every day that you live. Why? Look at verse 8. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that is... Did not set its heart right, and whose spirit was not faithful to God. We don't want a generation to come up to be rebellious. We want our children to learn to have a meaningful understanding of the events recorded in the Bible. We erect and create memorials because we don't want people to forget. We want to have that emotional appreciation. And folks, we can't ever allow ourselves to forget what God has done. Deuteronomy 8, verses 10 through 18, he warned them, and I'm just going to summarize this for us due to time. He said, when you get to the land, you're going to find yourselves doing real well. You're going to have plenty of food to eat and drink. You're going to dwell in houses you didn't build, eat fruit from vineyards that you did not plant. You're going to enjoy all these things. But he says you need to be beware lest when you get in that situation that you forget God who provided all of that for us. Yes, we need these memorials to have meaning to us because they point us back to the God who provided all these things. In Psalm 917, the wicked are turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. The event of erecting these stones was a significant time in the history of Israel. There was a good reason for God to say, I want you to choose 12 men and have each of those 12 men bring those stones and set up these stones and they become a memorial marker, a milestone for the children of Israel. God did not want them to forget who they were, nor from where they had come. He wanted them to appreciate the mercy that He had expressed toward them. And you know what? God doesn't want us to forget who we are, from which we came, nor to fail to appreciate the sacrifice that was given for us. We need to realize what God has done for us. If you'll take out your song book now, we're going to sing an invitation song. The purpose of this song is to encourage while the Lord invites. The Lord wants us to respond to Him in faith. That faith moves us to repent Of our sins. Confess his name before men. That we do believe in him. And then to make the commitment. To be his child. That commitment is expressed. In being baptized. For the remission of our sins. In Acts 2. When those gentlemen. And women. Gathered there. Spoke to Peter and the rest of the apostles. And asked what they should do. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's what we're encouraging you to do tonight if you're not a Christian. But God still wants us to walk by faith, to live by faith, trusting Him, following His Word. And if that's not been what you've been doing While you have the time, while you have the opportunity, while you have the desire, you ought to correct those things in your life and be a person living every day in service to God. If you need to respond in any way, would you come as we stand and sing?